Welcome to the Discovery Doc Podcast, where we advocate for optimal wellness and reducing everyday toxic loads, no matter where life takes you. I'm Dr. Cece, doctor in nursing practice, self-proclaimed toxin tamer, and a crunchy mama. I'm Anna Kate, a medical mystery overachiever and your discovery liaison. Join us on this exciting journey as we explore the world of holistic health, cutting edge research, and practical solutions for a healthier life. Together, we'll navigate through the complexities of wellness, sharing valuable insights, and expert advice. Tune in to the Discovery Doc Podcast. Get ready to be inspired, empowered, and discover a whole new way of looking at your health. Welcome back to the Discovery Doc Podcast. I'm here with your host, Dr. Cece, functional medicine nurse practitioner, self-proclaimed toxin tamer, and crunchy mama of, by this point, probably four. He will be here. He will be here very soon. And our co-host. I'm Anna Kate, your medical mystery overachiever and discovery liaison. And again, we have another gorgeous face with us today. So if you're watching us on YouTube, go look at this beautiful face. Can you introduce this lovely lady? We do. Yes. This is Dr. Samira Jafari. She is a doctor of dental medicine and someone that I refer a bunch of patients too, because I just love and trust her care um, with my patients specifically, but she's the owner of Integrative Family Dentistry and an expert in all things kind of tethered oral tissues. So we are so excited to continue our month of kind of newborn and baby care and have you on board. Dr. Jafari, it's so good to have you. Thank you both so much. And uh, Cece, vice versa, I trust you fully with uh, all the kiddos that I see that have all these inflammatory issues. So I know you see a bunch of my kiddos as well. (laughs) Yes, it goes both ways. That's for sure. Can you tell our community just kind of who you are? How did you get to where you practice now? What was your journey into kind of the more integrative dentistry world? Absolutely. So um, I am um, a general dentist um, and uh, a mom to three little kiddos. Um, we, uh, I graduated dental school in 2013. Um, and soon after I graduated, I was fortunate enough to partake in a CE course that was about airway development in kids. And it rocked my world. Like it was things I had never heard before in, um, in my uh, four years of dental school, four years of college, and <laughs> and before that. So it was really intriguing how, you know, with all this education in uh, this area of the mouth, I had not heard anything about airway airway development in my uh, studies. So it opened a door for me um, to learn more. And as I learned more, I found that um, it really is a field of dentistry that is not um, uh, explored as much. And not there's not that many people that are trained in uh, this field. Um, and there is so much need, like we are either ourselves affected or have kids that are affected by uh, some of these symptoms and things that we'll discuss. Um, And uh, it really felt like a calling (laughs) for me to pursue this more um, because I felt like I could make the biggest change as a dentist, uh, not just like in the uh, short term, but 
for some of these kids for the rest of their lives. So um, it, it really spoke to me. I, the past, but also over the past 10 years, I've tried to learn as much as I can. Um, it's actually a really exciting time to be in this field because there's a lot of new research coming out supporting mm -hmm. the things that we've been doing. Um, so um, it's really exciting to be here and I'm trying to learn as much as I can. I still feel like I, there's so much more to learn. So, um, and as far as like, um, you know, this, this has led me to learning more about like the body as a whole, this, you know, the, the airway side of things and also um, being a mom and kind of like starting my career in the more conventional side of things and kind of seeing the limitations there have has really helped me to kind of like come more into you know the functional side of things um so i'm excited to have a practice where i can you know kind of like do both sides um you know both with the dentistry making sure i'm you know, finding the more biocompatible materials for my patients, but also being able to help like the kiddos with like, uh, and, and babies with their airway uh, development and things like that. So, um, so that's been, you know, the past uh, 10 years of my career and, <laughs> uh, with my, uh, own little ones, um, uh, we have gone through the journey and I've seen the changes uh, in in them. So um, I have firsthand experience of how all of this goes. And um, it's it's exciting to be able to share with patients that, you know, I've been through the same process, uh, especially mm -hmm. with like newborns. Uh, my little one is over a year old. Um, and we went through this whole like tongue tie journey with her and and uh, we documented documented the whole thing because it was an emotional journey and a difficult journey um and uh documented the whole thing it's on our instagram page if uh um if your uh listeners are interested in um you know looking at what a newborn <laughs> journey for um a release provider's baby is like amazing well i'm i'm so excited to have you on because it's Airway is, I think, a topic that's not educated enough on, and a lot of parents don't understand the importance of the airway. Then a lot of adults don't under understand the importance of the airway. So I'm excited to have to tackle both worlds here with you. We'll start with more on the newborn side of things and kind of gradually work through and progress through the life and kind of what airway means to each individual essentially and how it can impact us if there's anything going on. So starting kind of preparing for birth or preparing if, if a mama is having a baby um, or if they've already had a baby and we're talking about breastfeeding and latching, where can we educate mamas a little bit more so ahead of time in terms of what to look for? Because what I find is a lot of times babies are born and no ties are assessed or they are assessed and missed. And then I don't see the baby until a month later. And now the mom's been struggling for a month with issues with lashing and it hurts. It's painful. The baby's gulping, you know, milk is dripping down the side of the face and nobody has assessed the baby. So 
what are some tips that pregnant mamas or new moms can look for if they're having a hard time breastfeeding or if it's it's painful? I have a question. Can you explain what an oral tie is? Oh, that's a good let's place start, to let's start. Let's start there. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So uh, let's start with like the, uh, just go over like basic definition of what um, uh, tethered oral tissues are. So um, we all have a piece of connective tissue that connects our uh, certain parts of our, uh, our oral structures to another structure. So for example, um, we have a piece of tissue that's connecting our tongue to the floor of the mouth and or a connective tissue underneath the lip from the lip to the upper gum um, these tissues are called fren frenulum or fren uh, or frenum plural would be frenula or frena now when these connective tissues are um, too thick or too tight or or not allowing proper function of those muscles we say that they are tied or they're tethered oral tissues and um, the individual would benefit from uh, the release of these tissues to allow full range of motion of, um, of those structures. So that's, uh, that's what a lip tie or a tongue tie is, is a restricted um, oral connective tissue. Um, so, does that answer your question? Yes. <laughs> yes, not mine. <laughs> yes, now, now you have to answer Cece's question. We have to start with the basics. Yes. Here. So absolutely love it. So um, as far as, you know, breastfeeding is always portrayed as this natural thing that, you know, we're, you're, our babies are born and uh, it's always portrayed as this beautiful, like natural process of, uh, of, of, uh, of life but what I find find is that in most cases it's not just as easy as you know babies born and they latch beautifully and there's no there's no symptoms so um, I think uh, normalizing that that it's you know it's something that takes time and effort and there could be a difficult challenge uh, there could be challenges along the way um, so that we are setting our expectations correct um, and are um, prepared to tackle those challenges. I think some of the best things um, that a pregnant uh, mama can do um, is to, to get ourselves educated, to know what, what things to look for, uh, um, but also um, there's a lot that goes with setting up your care team, right? So uh, you want to make sure to find a really uh, uh, savvy or tongue-tie savvy or uh, oral tissue, uh, oral, oral tissue savvy lactation consultant, uh, mm -hmm. so, someone that has information on what symptoms to look for um, and are able to see when a baby's latching um uh what's um in what areas of function they're deficit so having that uh, provider 
set up beforehand and even having your initial consultation with that lactation consultant before the birth of your baby uh, would be very um, beneficial because you already have that system set up and within the first few days of life you're able to uh, uh, to get the um, um, get your baby evaluated um, both for the way they're latching and the way they're functioning um, but also to see if you're actually able to if your baby is actually able to transfer milk so there's been a couple of cases where um, I've had mamas that came in with uh, uh, their baby who uh, latched on beautifully. Uh, the lactation consultant at the hospital said, oh my gosh, this is a beautiful latch. They're staying on for hours. They're feeding all day. It looks really good. But then a week later when they were dismissed and they went home, um, they had to go back to the hospital and the baby had to be placed on IVs because they were really dehydrated because even though they were they looked like they were breastfeeding, they weren't actually intaking milk. So now they were dehydrated. So a lactation consultant can do a weighted feed, meaning that they weigh your baby with uh, specific scales before and after a feed to make sure that they're actually transferring milk. Um, mm -hmm. As far as uh, um, lactation side, like specific lactation aside, um, body work is also a really big, um, uh, has a lot of benefits to both um, uh, the baby that's inside uh, uh, the womb, but also uh, the mom. Uh, so uh, things like uh, chiropractic care, craniosacral therapy, craniosacrofacial therapy, um, Arvigo Mayan massage, uh, things like that to both control our uh, um, um, anxiety and stress around the end, end of pregnancy and, you know, um, uh, anticipating this birth. Um, but also they can help position baby a little bit more naturally for an easier birth, less traumatic birth. Um, so that um, baby also doesn't go through a lot of stress, which can affect them post-delivery with, uh, you know, latching and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. Also, just like managing uh, stress, uh, we all know as, uh, you know, uh, third trimester mamas, we don't get much sleep, which can <laughs> contribute <laughs> to more stress and your body just being more <laughs> in a stress state. Uh, so anything to alleviate that can also um, reduce that cortisol uh, for the baby, which gets them in a more um, uh, more comfortable uh, and balanced environment so that they are born with less stress. Mm -hmm. um, um, so I'm trying to think, um, what else, obviously like nutrition and all of that, uh, kind of goes hand in hand with, uh, with all of this. So, um, even though the baby is inside our, um, uh, our uterus, there's a lot that we can do to prepare for that birth, uh, mm -hmm. to, to, to help things go smoother after birth. Yeah. 
Can you talk a little bit about what the different, you touched on tongue tie, lip tie. One, are those the most common ties that you see? And two, what symptoms, if, when babies hear, uh, what symptoms could moms or parents see if there are certain ties? So specific symptoms for a tongue tie, for a lip tie, for the buccals, um, and what are the most common ones that you, you do see mm-hmm. currently? Yeah, so uh, the lip and tongue ties are definitely the most common ones that we see. Um, I always check for buccal ties as well. Those are cheek ties. Those are connective tissue from um, the cheek to the upper gums. And sometimes those are also connected too far down and they're so tight that don't allow good function of the cheeks. Um, The lip, lip tie and buccal ties are part of the facial fascial system, which can impact the way the TMJ is functioning and if a baby's holding their jaw really tight, they're not um, able to open wide for a good wide latch. Um, so uh, lip ties can also impact um, if the lip is not able to flange up over the nose. Um, baby's not able to elevate the lip to be able to uh, flange. So they um, uh, uh, use uh, a less deep latch and use more of their lip for functioning. So they end up getting like little blisters along the lips because they're using their lips too much um, because they're not able to flange out and relax the the cheeks and lips. Um, And other things that we see is uh, that a lip tie can also contribute to the mouth staying open, uh, which in turn can impact the way uh, uh, the um, lips come together uh, as they age, it can cause a more open mouth uh, posture. Um, with tongue ties, and I think tongue ties are the, um, uh, they're the ones with the most amount of symptoms. Um, and uh, when the tongue is not able to move freely, there's, um, there's a lot of uh, uh, symptoms that are associated with that. Um, now, traditionally, we looked for a tongue tie based on how far a tongue could stick out of the mouth. So, you know, and, and unfortunately, still to this day, a lot of providers are looking at it that way. So they're, you know, they ask you to stick your tongue out. As long as your tongue is pa- coming past your lips like that, then you're not tongue tied. <laughs> uh, but a lot of times... Um, and if you think about it with tongue ties uh, or with uh, our tongue function, nowhere in our function do we need to stick our tongue out. Um, and it's more about uh, lift of the tongue and elevation of the back of the tongue to the roof of the mouth where most of the function of the tongue comes. So those are so, that's what we, we check now is how well can the tongue lift up. We're also looking at the, the extension or how far the tongue can come out, but more how much the back of the tongue is lifting. Um, some of the symptoms that um, uh, that we, we see in moms and babies, so uh, you can look for symptoms in yourself. So like if you have um, uh, difficulty with, uh, uh, if you have a lot of pain with breastfeeding um, is a sign um, if your uh, uh, nipples look different, so they typically like get this like 
uh, blanched, um, flattened look after a feeding. And that's a sign that your baby is not, um, uh, not functioning properly at the breast if um, you have a lot of nipple pain and damage. So I get moms that have like literally bleeding nipples <laughs> because they're so, um, you know, dedicated to, to feeding their baby that, uh, you know, as moms, we, we go through a lot and we always like almost always put ourselves last. Um, but I see a lot of damage to nipples, um, because the baby is chomping or, uh, not feeding properly at the breast. Um, also, uh, block ducts and mastitis. Um, if your baby is not able to feed correct at the breast, they're also not able to drain well. So that we get, uh, then we get back of, uh, backup of milk. Um, and that leads to um, block ducts and, uh, and mastitis. Um, um, also, if you have decreasing milk supply. So I have um, baby moms that have no symptoms, like they, they, there's no pain, they're, the, baby, the nipples are not damaged, um, they are, um, they're, they're not having any like um, discomfort while feeding. Um, but then we see the clogged ducts or uh, decreasing milk supply, and that's because the baby is just not strong enough to 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 feed at the breast. So they basically just like um, uh, uh, stimulate that letdown, and once the mm -hmm. letdown is done, they're just kind of like sitting there and swallowing, but not really like uh, functioning at the breast. So um, if, if you're not having pain, uh, that's also not a sign that your baby is not tired. So it could just be that they're not strong enough to, uh, to cause pain. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. With the baby, uh, a lot of times we see a lot of like, um, a lot of fussiness and gassiness, a lot of reflux symptoms, a shallow latch, um, noisy feeding, leaking from the corners of the mouth, um, poor weight gains in some instances. Um, it's not all the time. So a lot of uh, pediatricians put a lot of, um, they put a lot of weight on weight gain. And if mm -hmm. the baby's gaining weight, as long as the baby's gaining weight, everything is fine. Um, and they're not looking at like all the other symptoms and the ways that baby could be more efficient and the mom more comfortable. Um, mm -hmm. Also, we're looking at uh, like noisy breathing, mouth breathing, lip blisters, as, as we discussed, coughing and gagging when they're let down and they're not, not being able to manage the letdown and things like that um, are all um, signs that uh, there may be uh, restrictions in the way that may be causing your baby not to be able to be as efficient. Right. And all of that also, minus the pain, applies to if babies are just bottle fed. So I think that last part is really important for parents who go right to bottle feeding, whether that's pumping breast milk or formula, where you the baby can still have those symptoms of being more colicky, being fussy, more gas, you know, the milk dripping down the side, gulping, clicking, weight gain issues, etc. All that does not just apply to, to breastfeeding mamas, but also to bottle feeding too. So thank you. Those are really, really good signs. I think that parents can watch out for because I do find that it's it's so often missed. The 
other part is some parents, you know, if, if let's say that I do find um, a, a tie in the an oral tie and I say, hey, it would be great to, you know, go see X, Y, and Z to, to have this evaluated. Some parents will decline to do so and that's their free choice. Absolutely. But can you talk a little bit about what, if not correct, if, if parents decide to not correct those ties now, what implications can that have for baby in the future in terms of, you know, maybe when they're eight, nine, 10 years old? Absolutely. And I hear that um, all the time. So even like patients that come in for consultations, um, they are hesitant because it is surgery. And, you know, we, we always put surgery as last resort. Um, but uh, things that I talk to patient, patients about is, you know, I always try to base my decision based on the symptoms that are happening now. So um, I don't want to treat based on what may come, right? Because uh, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what uh, kind of symptoms uh, they will have for sure. But there are a lot of different symptoms that are uh, connected with tether oral tissues that I'm going to review. And I, you know, uh, give this information to parents and they can make their choice and their decision. Uh, but just like you said, uh, so a lot of moms say, you know, like, is this my foolishness or my selfishness wanting to breastfeed? Should I just start bottle feeding so that I don't have to do the surgery? And I'm happy that you brought that up, that it's these symptoms don't go away. Now, bottle feeding is a lot more lenient when it comes to oral function. Uh, they don't have to be functioning as well to be able to bottle feed. Um, so um, uh, it's easier for babies to bottle feed than breastfeed for sure. Um, so um, uh, if you were to switch to bottle feeding, um, just to get through that infant period, you may be able to get through that infant period. But if you're not um, looking at that oral function and correcting that from the beginning, it's not something that's going to self-correct and it mm -hmm. gets worse. And as oral function gets worse, then we see other, other things come up. For example, um, typically with babies that, you know, we don't do a release as an uh, early on and they switch to bottle feeding, then I may see them back when they're transitioning to solids because now they cannot, uh, tolerate, uh, um, any solids in their mouth, they can't move food around, they can't swallow, they are gagging and choking on on the uh, on solids. So that's around like eight, nine to a year where when I see them back with feeding challenges. Now um, with um, um, suck and swallow is a reflex that we were born with. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, all babies are supposed to be um, born with a suck reflex, uh, which is uh, to help us be able to feed at the breast or bottle. Now that suck reflex uh, is uh, integrates or leaves uh, around two and a half to three months of life, typically. Um, and uh, with uh, swallowing solids, that's actually a learned behavior. So it's something that we have to practice and learn. And the suck reflex uh, is to help us uh, gain the function and gain the strength to then be able to 
manipulate food around our mouth. Um, but what happens is what we see is uh, feeding could be going well or baby could be sucking well the first two and a half, three months of life. But then when that uh, suck reflex starts integrating, function takes to take a, tends to take a, um, a downward uh, path because mm -hmm. the baby starts compensating for uh, their um, lack of movement. So but our bodies are so smart <laughs> and we're looking for the path of least resistance. Um, so we uh, learn to compensate really well. So if your tongue can't move as freely on its own, we start using more of our jaw so our tongue can go with it. Um, but we're not really like moving the tongue itself. So we end up building a lot of tension through here because all these muscles are overacting. Um, mm -hmm. But still, when it comes to solids, if you're not able to move your tongue side to side because you've learned to compensate and not really move your tongue, then you can't manipulate bolus, the, the food around your mouth, and you're not able to swallow as easily. So that's one of the, uh, one of the things that we see then if we pass this stage, then there's always speech development um, mm -hmm. and we see a big correlation with like speech development and, uh, and tongue ties. Um, if we pass all of these, then we have um, growth and development issues. So uh, the tongue plays a huge role in the growth of our um, upper jaw and in turn the entire upper face. So the mm -hmm. lower jaw and upper jaw are two separate structures um, and have they're actually made up of different bones, um, different types of bones. The upper jaw is the same bone as your cranium. Uh, it's, uh, the, it's a type of, it's called cancellous bone. And the way cancellous bone grows is by um, light force. So, for example, like uh, your head grows to the size of your brain, right? So if you're, you're the soft, mushy brain, as it's growing on the inside, is putting pressure on the bone of the cranium and our uh, cranium grows to be the exact size of our brain, right? It's like a perfect fit. <laughs> it's the same thing for the upper jaw with the tongue resting and pushing against the roof of the mouth. The upper jaw grows to where it's supposed to, wide and forward. So then we have enough room for our teeth that are going to come in. But also we are helping to develop the, the nasal floor because it's the same bone. If you go through the roof of your mouth, you end up in your nose. So as the upper jaw is more narrow and deep, so is the floor of the nose. And it can impact the way we're breathing throughout our lifespan. So uh, we want to establish the tongue resting in the roof of the mouth from infancy. Um, mm -hmm. So that's definitely one thing that um, new mamas can look for is when your baby's sleeping, just to put a little bit of pressure on the lower chin to see where the tongue is resting. So you're going to push uh, down on the chin and look to see where the tongue is. If the tongue's resting low in the mouth, that's not a good sign. If the tongue's resting in the roof of the mouth, that's a good sign and sign, and we want to encourage that. And we want to always check for that and make sure that they have their tongue resting in the roof of the mouth as they're growing and developing. Another uh, 
question that I get quite a bit kind of on the subject is parents, when a, when some of these ties are identified so early on, they're scared and they're like, well, do I have to go get it corrected right now? Is it better to go get it corrected right now? And my deferral is always to you, right? I'm like, you know, go have that consult and she's a professional. She'll help you navigate that. But if patients are, you know, talk to us a little bit about that. When is too, is there a too early mark to have babies corrected? Is it fully dependent on symptoms? When do we start with more physical therapy, um, like exercises versus going jumping right to the corrections? Um, great question. So um, I don't know if there are any studies on like timing, right? Like, is it too early to do the release when a baby is like a day old? Um, as a general, like what I have found is um, it depends. So there are babies that are tied to the tip of the tongue. So their tongue is, uh, has like no movement at all. There's like uh, the very short frenulum um, and it's, uh, uh, it's impacting the way they're able to, to eat with any method, right? In those cases, I think we need to do a, a release as soon as possible. Hopefully those are the typically the ones that are found in the hospital and are corrected within the first two days of life, right? Um, right in the hospital when they're born. If uh, it's that's not the case, I do like to wait about a week to allow the baby to just unwind from the womb. Right, so they've been in this position. The fascial lines are all in this position. Um, a week would allow them to kind of unwind, especially if you're in, if you're incorporating some body work, so craniosacral therapy, craniosacral fascial therapy, uh, chiropractic care, infant massage, just to get the fascial lines uh, opened up. Then uh, that will also help improve symptoms because um, a lot of times as we do body work and we work on those fascia lines, tongue function improves. So the tongue is um, actually part of the largest fascia line in the body. It's called the deep frontal line, which connects your tongue directly to your diaphragm around your organs, your hips, your knees, actually to the tip of the toes. There's one piece of fascia line. Mm -hmm. So working on this fascia line and releasing that, uh, we see improvements in tongue function and vice mm -hmm. versa. Doing if the body, if that fascia line is released and we still have this knot underneath the tongue <laughs> and we release that tongue, we see that fascia line drop and we see a lot less tension in the body. Um, so doing some body work that first week of life to get the body to kind of like unwind, then doing the release that first, you know, week or two, first two weeks where if you're having symptoms, I feel it seems like that would be a good timing, but it is mm -hmm. so different per baby. So some babies initially in the hospital, you know, um, because I always ask, like, did you see a lactation consultant in the hospital? And the answer is all, almost always like, yeah, everything was fine. We were doing so well in the hospital. And a lot of it is because 
And um, when babies are born, those reflexes are so active and they are firing um, really well, usually. Um, mm-hmm. And so function looks good. But then you get home and things change, but then you don't have that support, which is why I was, you know, um, initially I was talking about having that care team, not just relying on hospital lactation, because things change so much that first uh, few weeks of life but having a resource outside the, of the hospital, someone that you've met with and, and you feel comfortable with, um, that can help you navigate that, that, um, uh, that period of time. Um, mm-hmm. They can also help you because feeding changes also after a tongue tie release. So you want someone to help you with that process as well. Mm-hmm. Um, some babies, lack some of their birth reflexes so and they um are born with um lesser oral function i definitely see that in premature babies um but also babies that are born earlier than uh, 38 weeks um 30 so the last two weeks in utero the baby's practicing their oral function a lot they're actually Mm -hmm. swallowing a lot so uh, they typically do better at, like as soon as they're born. Um, babies that are born a little bit earlier, they may need a little bit more training. Um, so if oral function is lacking, we would we'd love to work with uh, our colleagues in the occupational therapy and speech therapy departments to help um, ones that are um, that work with infants and are familiar with oral function and mm-hmm. birth reflexes to help us get those reflexes back, get those nerves firing and the brain to um, uh, send signals to those muscles uh, to help improve uh, feeding and function even before a release. So that like our goal is in order to do the release or when we are ready to do the release, for the baby to be trying to do these things, um, but is being held back by that frenum. So when I do a release, the baby's like, okay, well, I wanted to do this, now I can freely do it. But if the nerve is not firing, if that muscle is not trying to move at all, when I do the release, it's still not gonna function because releasing the tissue is not going to fix function. And that's something that I, you know, want to reiterate for the uh, the viewers or listeners that we need to be um, looking at us at this uh, uh, more holistically than just looking at the tie and doing a release. Um, so, if you go to a provider that's not addressing the functional aspect, um, I want sh- want your viewers to um, or listeners to. Uh, seek for those care providers on their own um, and make sure they're um, addressing that side to be able to get the best or um, most positive impact from the release. Right. I think one thing that you touched on is really important because sometimes I, with some of my patients, there's a hiccup in timing where either they can't afford to go right away to be evaluated or assessed or they call you know they're three hours away and then so they go with somebody local who can't see them for another month or so and so i think what you touched on with the chiropractic work and craniosacral and you know body 
work is really important because those are things that they can implement while awaiting that appointment. Is there any, if, if ties have been confirmed by their pediatrician, is there anything safe that they could do at home that kind of applies to any baby who has a tongue and lip tie and not, you know, obviously every baby is so different and there's specific unique things that the then doctor would have to come in and, and tell them and um, educate them and guide them on. But there, is there anything else that they could be doing if let's say there is a lapse of three, four weeks before they can get in to see somebody for a more thorough evaluation? Yes, um, I think uh, the most important thing it would be getting into uh, a, a provider that would be checking and supporting function. So that could be a lactation consultant that is knowledgeable in oral ties and uh, oral function, um, an occupational therapist, a speech therapist, physical, some physical therapist, someone that's going to be working with uh, functional exercises to keep the baby encouraged to function properly, um, despite some of the reflexes uh, uh, integrating. So uh, we want to um, uh, we want to try and avoid compensations as much as possible while they're waiting to 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 be seen, and also correcting some of the functional deficits that are are reflexes that are not there. You want to try and get those get those working on those. So there's definitely a lot that can be done uh, while we're waiting on a release, because as I mentioned, the release is like one part of like the whole thing, um, mm -hmm. and uh, typically it's like a small part. The rest of it is all the body work and all the functional exercises uh, that uh, that 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 parents need to be working on. And now, obviously, this whole conversation, we've talked a lot about the release. Can you tell a little bit about what that looks mm -hmm. like, what parents expect kind of going into this appointment, you know, pre-release, during it, after release, and kind of the importance of, like you've been touching on, the post-release exercises and therapies? Um, can you give a little insight on those categories? Absolutely, yes. Uh, so the release itself, uh, I think one of the, so I would definitely try and look for providers that are um, um, more, uh, more knowledgeable in the area or that um, have dedicated more education into the releases. Um, unfortunately, I get a lot of babies from other providers that we need to do a second release um, mm -hmm. because the initial one may not have been a complete release. So it's not just about um, looking at the tissue and cutting what you see, but also looking for a submucosal or the posterior portion of the, uh, of the tie. Um, some babies don't exhibit the front you know, the little wing that you see on the front. Um, as I mentioned before, we were looking at like elevation and lift of the, the back of the tongue. Um, and if the back of the tongue is not lifting because there is a tether underneath the tissue, that also needs to be addressed. And a lot of times uh, we're not checking for those. We're just looking at the front uh, portion of the, of the tie. Uh, so I think one of the most important things with a release is choosing the right provider 
and making mm -hmm. sure that your release provider is checking for those things and are trained to do that type of release. After that, then there are different um, uh, tools for the release. There are the traditional scissors and scalpel releases, uh, and there are also uh, lasers. Um, with uh, uh, as far as laser releases, um, my prefer what I use is a carbon dioxide laser. I believe that that's the best thing on the market. <laughs> it's the best laser for this type of procedure. Um, and the reason for that is that some um, uh, some la providers that um, provide laser releases, um, I think we, we're we're in tune to like looking for a laser release, but not all lasers are the same. Most lasers on the market are diode lasers. And these lasers are, um, um, when a provider is using a diode laser, they're not actually using the energy of the laser. It's more um, uh, uh, using the energy of the laser to heat an instrument tip and then mm. melting the tissue away. So it's kind of like um, burning the tissue off with like a hot knife basically Sounds like cauterizing so a lot of heat distribution yes there's a lot of heat distribution to the surrounding tissue and it can cause a lot of inflammation because of the amount of heat that's being used and there are also other lasers um, that uh, uh, use uh, water for cutting um, and it's always a little tricky with infants laying on their back to be able to do a, a release. Obviously, again, provider choice. So there are people that um, are fantastic with using their water lasers. Um, and they, um, um, so I don't wanna, you know, it is a, a, a good laser. It's just with an infant, it's, it's challenging to do with water. Um, the, um, as far as, um, scissors and scalpels, there's no heme control. There's no blood control. Um, mm -hmm. so there tends to be, uh, more bleeding and, uh, need for cauterization, uh, with, uh, um, chemicals, which makes it, um, which can be uncomfortable for the baby. The CO2 laser, um, the way a CO2 two laser uh, works is um, that we are actually using the energy of the laser. So there's nothing touching the tissue. I'm basically just holding my the, the, the handpiece and I'm hovering over the tissue. And the energy of the laser penetrates a few cell layers deep and it excites the water molecules inside the cell and uh, to where the the water molecules uh, evaporate and the, the cell burst open so we're working a few cell layers at a time so like if you imagine like there are two cell layers one evaporates the other one is intact so there's not as much damage there's not damage we're not cutting through the tissue so there is less less of an inflammatory response from the body because the body sees it as a smaller, um, uh, dif uh, uh, it's not, it's not um, 
the body is not alarmed to it as much as other methods. Mm -hmm. um, less heat distribution to surrounding tissues. Um, the laser also um, works in a dry field. So um, I'm not worried about water going the wrong tube. <laughs> Babies laying on their back. Um, it also does block small blood vessels and small lymphatic vessels. So there's less bleeding, almost little to no bleeding when I work. So it leaves a clear field of view for me to see exactly what I'm doing and how much I've released. I can go back and check versus with a scissor, you only have one shot and then you have to control the bleeding. Um, the blockage of small lymphatic vessels is also another way that um, it, it helps control uh, inflammation. So it makes it more comfortable for baby post-op, both as far as like less heat use and uh, uh, less uh, inflammation in the area, which also helps with better healing um, mm -hmm. and less scar tissue formation. Um, so um, again, I think the first, first thing we need to look at is the experience of the provider. Uh, but if you have two providers that have the same amount of experience, the tool can have a slight advantage as far as the outcome of the procedure. Um, I know you also asked about the post-op care. Mm -hmm. um, so you also want to um, uh, go with a provider that has a post-op care regimen um, because um, one of the most important things is not allowing uh, 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 reattachment of the wound site um, and we do that through lifting the tissue so um, uh, there's not there's not a, um, a scientific or um, there's not a researched way uh, for post-op instructions so each provider has their own post-op instructions but as far as they as long as they have uh, post-care routine that means that they are um, you know um, they're doing something to prevent reattachment after the release um, I hope that answers the question yeah absolutely <laughs> the, I guess one more question there before we kind of wrap up this part of our our chat is how what can parents expect the question I get is how long is it going to take to heal <laughs> and it's so subjective right it's so different patient patient but can you touch on that a little bit? What, when pain, parents ask you that question, how long will it take to heal? What is your general guideline of what you respond back? Yes, yeah, so uh, the wounds themselves, so if you have a diamond-shaped wound, meaning that underneath the tongue you see like a diamond-shaped wound, that typically means that the posterior part of the tongue tie was addressed. Um, and those are the ones that take longer to heal. And we want them to take longer to heal because we want to guide the way that frenulum is forming, which is why we do the stretches to prevent things from sticking back together. Um, typically, uh, it takes about two and a half to three weeks for the tongue wound to heal. Lip and buckles, typically a week, week and a half. Um, and during that, um, uh, time when the wound is open, we require more stretches. So my recommendation is every four hours 
to prevent uh, the wound from sticking back together. Once the wounds have healed after the first two and a half, three weeks, then uh, my recommendation is massaging the areas. Just like any other surgery you have where uh, massaging would reduce scar tissue, um, it's the same thing with in the mouth. The massaging can reduce the amount of uh, collagen that your body is building in the area to uh, patch things up. Um, so you get a better looking uh, um, healing site. Absolutely, that makes sense. And okay, I lied. One more question <laughs> with with um, kind of going through that that post operative phase. Can you, I think something you said earlier is so important, I do tell parents this too, is that latching changes once those releases are done. And so with babies, let's say this baby is in, in the newborn phase, the first month of life, how, quote, long do you, do you see that it takes for that baby to relearn with the, the proper team kind of in place helping that? Is that something that they'll relearn? in a week or something they'll relearn in a month that's so such a good question because i guess ask that like all the time <laughs> and it it really depends on our starting point and where we are uh function wise going into the procedure which is why i emphasize that uh, functional work so much because if the baby has good muscle memory already and they're being held back by that frenulum, if they have good oral tone, if their tongue is strong already, going into the release, and I'm... Do you guys have me? I think I lost you for a second. <laughs> yeah, we're okay. Okay, sorry. Um, so the, if they are trying to function but are being held back by this frenulum, and I go in and do the release, we see a much quicker turn, turnaround with function than if a baby did not really know what to do with their tongue going into the release. So if the suck is disorganized, like if they're just trying to figure it out, um, but don't have consistent function, and I do the release, it's even more confusing for them because now they're mm -hmm. like, okay, like I had it figured out, now I don't know what I'm doing with my tongue. So things can get worse. So I always check for uh, a good suck and good oral function. I do a quick functional assessment before the release to make sure that I have like the basic necessities to, uh, to then hopefully have good outcome. And we've been able to get uh, really good outcomes afterwards because we're checking the functional aspect before the release. Um, but if your baby doesn't really know what they're doing with their tongue and we just go in and do the release, those are some of the stories you hear where like the release didn't help or uh, things got worse is because um, the baby didn't know what to do now with their, with their new movement. And it took them a long time to figure things out. Um, there are also babies where they're functioning well, but they have very low tone. So those also take a long time after the release um, because they need to, just like with any other muscle group, it takes time to build that tone. Um, so those may be a longer process, but improving each day. 
So we don't want to see things getting worse. We want things getting better. And that functional aspect and uh, uh, being able to work with providers that are knowledgeable in the area and that are preparing babies well for the release becomes really, really important. Awesome. Well, we are going to wrap up this part of our conversation, y'all. Part two, I really want to dive into kind of the older child and adult and how airway impacts us kind of globally, not just in the newborn phase of life. But thank you so much, Dr. Jafari. Is there any kind of special shout out or where can our community reach you? Give us some details about how they can learn more from you. Absolutely. Um, so thank you both so much for having me on. It's been such a pleasure um, and uh, a great opportunity for me to bring this uh, awareness, hopefully for some uh, people that are uh, expecting or um, have uh, babe, are struggling currently uh, with, with breastfeeding. Um, um, if um, for reaching out, uh, our website will probably be um, best place www.drsamirajafari.com. And that way, you can also reach our office. And um, huge shout out to my team um, for always uh, being there and supporting me each and every day. <laughs> um, and thank you both so much for this uh, uh, conversation. Absolutely. Thank you. And we'll make sure that um, Dr. Jafari's information is tagged in the show notes below so you can make sure that you can go and just click on those and get to where you need to, need to go to learn more from her and um until next time let's discover together we hope you've enjoyed this journey of exploration and learning as much as we have before you go we have a special request for you our beloved discoverers we'd be thrilled if you could show your support in a few easy steps step one if you're watching on YouTube, please hit that like button and subscribe to our channel. Don't forget to ring that notification bell so you never miss a moment of discovery. Step two, if you're listening via Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review our show. Your feedback means the world to us and helps others discover our podcast too. Step three, whether you're on YouTube or listening on your favorite podcast platform, please share the Discovery Doc podcast with your friends, family, and social networks. It's the best way to spread the joy of discovery. And finally, don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at the Discovery Doc. Stay connected with us for updates, behind the scenes content, and so much more. Plus, for exclusive content and additional resources, be sure to check out our website at www.thediscoverydoc.com. And while you're there, if you have a burning question or a topic you'd like us to discuss on the show, simply let us know. Thank you, Discoverers, for being part of our incredible journey. Until next time, let's discover together. The content provided in this podcast provides general information and discussions on various topics related to health, wellness, and medical advancements. However, it is essential to understand that the content provided in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The hosts, guests, and contributors are individuals sharing their personal experiences, opinions, and knowledge in their respective fields. While they strive to provide accurate, up-to-date information, medical knowledge is constantly evolving and the information presented in this podcast may not always reflect the most current research and medical guidelines. It is crucial to consult with a qualified healthcare professional or medical expert for specific medical concerns. Never disregard professional 
medical advice or delay seeking medical treatment based on the information presented in this podcast. The Discovery Doc Podcast encourage listeners to use their own judgment and discretion while implementing any suggestions, recommendations, or lifestyle changes discussed in this episode. Each individual's medical situation is unique and may work for one, may not be suitable or safe for another. The podcast hosts, guests, and contributors are not liable for any direct, indirect, consequential, or incidental damages or harm that may arise from listening or acting upon the information provided in this podcast. Listeners are responsible for their own health decisions and should exercise caution and seek professional guidance when necessary. By listening to this podcast, you acknowledge that you have read, understood, and agreed to this medical disclaimer. If you have any questions or concerns about this medical disclaimer, please consult a qualified healthcare professional.